No spying app will gain your child's trust, ever. This is not how you build trust in any relationship. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about stalkerware. In late June, a mobile app that can, without consent, pry into text messages, monitor call logs, and track GPS location history, warned its users that its services had been hacked. According to the app's website, quote, a security incident occurred involving obtaining unauthorized access to the data of website users. As a result of the attack, the criminals gained access to email addresses, telephone numbers, and the content of messages collected on accounts, end quote. While this might sound like I'm talking about a typical data breach, I am not, because in this data breach, the users are not typical users. And the data that criminals gained access to, email addresses, telephone numbers, the content of messages, right? That data may have been wrongfully collected in the first place by the app itself which is called Let Me Spy. Let Me Spy advertises itself online as a phone monitoring tool for parental and employee tracking. Parents can, according to the website, quote, read all SMS text messages, see who your child called and who is calling them and how long they talked, find out where your kids are, protect your children from being influenced by dangers of their environment, end quote. And in the same vein, employers can increase, quote, control and safety of your business, reduce the costs relating to to the private use of mobile phones for professionals, end quote. And one more important thing is that Let Me Spy can allegedly hide itself from the end user who is being monitored. And if that sounds dangerous, that's because it very well can be. In Various news articles following Let Me Spy's hack, several outlets branded the application as stalkerware, a term that is used by the cybersecurity industry to describe mobile apps, primarily on Android, that can steal text messages, photos, and videos, record the conversations and contact details of phone calls, and track a person's GPS location both in real time and their history. I've actually tested one of these types of apps before. Years ago, I monitored my self by installing a tracking app on a refurbished device that was purchased specifically for a research paper that I wrote. The app I used was deeply worrying. Once installed on the refurbished phone, it automatically retrieved my photos, videos, text messages, notifications, and location history, and it automatically recorded every phone call I made and received, along with the phone numbers I connected with, what time I made the call, and how long the call lasted. It didn't stop there either. The app could turn off my Wi-Fi, giving me trouble to connect to the internet, and the app could take a photo using my phone's camera without me knowing, and it could also record audio 
using my phone's microphone without me knowing. This clandestine functionality is nothing new in this field. Many of these types of apps trade on the very idea that they can hide themselves from view, either completely invisible in a phone's app drawer or disguised as something benign, like a calendar app or a battery saver app or a system setting app. And when these apps can hide themselves from view, they obviously make it much more difficult for people to know whether they are being tracked. And that has come up in situations of domestic abuse. As Danielle Citrone, professor at University of Virginia School of Law, wrote in her 2015 paper, Spying Incorporated, about stalkerware leveraged domestic violence, quote, a woman fled her abuser who was living in Kansas. Because her abuser had installed a cyber-stalking app on her phone, her abuser knew that she had moved to Elgin, Illinois. He tracked her to a shelter and then a friend's home where he assaulted her and he tried to strangle her. In another case, a woman tried to escape her abusive husband, but because he had installed a stalking app on her phone, he was able to track down her and her children. The man murdered his two children. In 2013, a California man using a spyware app tracked a woman to her friend's house and assaulted her, end quote. These types of apps can serve as dangerous tools in situations of domestic abuse, and we cannot ignore that the capabilities they provide of looking at private images, of rifling through private text messages, of even seizing control of a device to turn off its Wi-Fi, of recording every call made and received, that these are plainly surveillance. And so when an app that provided some of those functions gets hacked, we are left to ask, what does it mean to steal data that may have already been stolen? Today, to help us understand the data that was taken from Let Me Spy, the general insecurity of stalker type apps, and the ethics of hacking, we're speaking with the hacktivist and security blogger Maya Arson Crimeu. Maya, welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to be here. Hi, we are happy to have you here. There is quite a bit to get into, and so let's just jump right into it, right? With this hack of the app Let Me Spy, you have actually read through Let Me Spy's data, and I wanted to ask a few questions about it and about what we can learn from it. And so just based on the data, were Let Me Spy's claims true about what it could retrieve, right? Because there's a lot of apps out there that say they can do X, Y, and Z, particularly in this field, these monitoring apps. But I just want to know, was it true? Could it actually spy on people's text messages, phone calls, and locations? Yeah, indeed. Yes. One of the main things in the in the leak is that there's not just a dump of the full database as like in a database format that is fairly hard to parse, but there were also CSV files, just simple files you can open in Excel or in a text editor with all the locked text messages and all the locked phone calls of the user. So yeah, that was like the first thing I could verify is yes, it does indeed track every single call, every single text message received. Yeah, and also then later when I was then actually digging into the database file, I did also see, yeah, there is also indeed all the location data being collected uh, in real time of all the users. 
So yeah, those claims are unfortunately true, at, at least for this app, and as far as I've been able to tell so far for most of these apps. So one, right, that's deeply worrying, and I and I just hate knowing it, um, but also, it also sounds like a ton of information to just have, and someone's location history just feels like a lot of data to have, depending on how long it is. Yeah. The thing is, what I do find interesting, one of their claims that based on the data we have also appears to be true, uh, is let me spice claim that all of the data they collect gets deleted after 30 days. So we don't actually have like that long of a time span of data. Like there's lots of customers where it's not clear whether they ever installed it on a target's phone or not, because we have no more data because they signed up for the let me spy service in like 2016. So we just have the info on the person who signed up, but we have no idea whether they ever ended up using the service, uh, which is obviously like good that that data is gone because it shouldn't have existed in the first place. But now from the point of actually doing research into this data and, and figuring out like what's going on behind it, it's obviously also kind of sad to not actually have that, to not have proof for, for whether and how the service was used. But for all the recent data, at least for the last like 30 days, we have detailed data on, on anyone who, who has been tracked using Let Me Spy, uh, be it their location or all their calls and messages. In total, as far as we know, there is entries for 13,000 phones. Whether all of these ever had the app installed is unclear. But yeah, up to 13,000 phones were spied on using using Let Me Spy. <laughs> is that like a big number in this world? Do we? So because I, I want to just kind of clarify, because when I hear that number, I think like that's too many, right? But I also think that like the number one is too many. Um, like, and so yeah, and, and any number is too high here, really. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm not sure how high this is like relatively for the entire industry. I don't, I haven't had like specifically looked at that number that much before. We will see this more into like the current research project I have ongoing where I'm going to go through more of these breaches. But I think it's interesting that even like something that at least to me seems like rather a small player in the business with a like not even some of these are like really good players like they have like 15 different brand names they sell under with different catchy websites and they just have like one website a barely updated app in years and and somehow even then they still have this many customers so I think like the smaller players in this market which for some reason has like lots of providers so I feel like it's a lot, no matter the, 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 like what it actually is in comparison. Is there anything we can understand also about who was affected, like region-wise? Do we know where this app was popular? Who are the victims? So this I'm basing on, on the data in the very good article Zach Whitaker wrote for, for TechCrunch, because I didn't end up doing any more specific analysis on the location data yet, because I plan on doing that once I have data for more apps. Uh, but it appears to be like that the main clusters of users here are uh, in the United States as well as India and then some smaller clusters in parts of Africa as well as Europe, as well specif specifically around Poland, given this is from a Polish developer and probably originally advertised in Poland. But yeah, it's a big part of their user base appears to be in the US, which is also somewhat corroborated by uh, the, the email addresses of people who have signed up because it, I, I find that a very interesting data point is to go through and look for the domains used to sign up. And what I found fairly interesting, but which I guess kind of makes sense considering like the culture is how many student emails of US colleges have signed up for services like this. 
which obviously is is very gross but also i feel i feel like in like the the kind of culture you get at the u.s universities the kind of dating culture you have in those spaces that makes sense but it's also pointing to a like very big social problem so it's interesting as soon as you said that it makes sense to you that there's <laughs> many many <laughs> students I, I instinctively like i went to college in the u.s and i'm instinctively like hey now hey what are you talking about but then i also remembered distinctly that uh, when i went to college facebook had just launched and the term facebook stalking was just a thing like it was just understood that yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I also do have to admit, like, I'm I'm making that statement of, oh, it just makes sense. As a complete outsider with a very distorted <laughs> view of the U.S. as this sort of hellscape. But, uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, to me, it just makes sense as, like, student culture in general. And then with some bits of it being amplified even more in the U.S. compared to what we already have in terms of bad student culture here. This isn't, like, specifically to say U.S. student culture is bad. It's just student culture that's bad, I feel like. Is there anything else in the email addresses, right, the domains that you saw that was surprising? Yeah, the interesting thing I also found is uh, free government workers having signed up with their government email addresses, uh, two of which are from Malaysia uh, and one from Jordan. All of those unfortunately used the service also in like 2016, so I have no like active tracking data from them and have no idea who they might have tracked. Uh, whether it was like just a spouse or just in in very many quotes not that that's any better than anything else <laughs> other or whether this was actually used for like a government related tracking job which would be very interesting uh and also a a person from a police department in the u.s the broussard police department who had also signed up uh where the data is also too old so we also don't know who they were spying on i think at least one journalist reached out to the police department for statement but obviously didn't get any response back the least surprising but kind of curious bit is uh someone from a competing stalkerware product signed up with oh. their work email uh <laughs> most likely for what we might refer to as corporate espionage okay. uh, and also this is going to get even more interesting once like the second part of my blog series drops because we are going to talk about that company in more detail then right i think this industry itself is nefarious right but i also think it's insane that there are people working in this who are doing the things that non-nefarious actors do which is like they're signing up for a trial of a competitor product to see how it performs yeah. which is insane like it's bizarre and it's um i think it kind of goes to show that like this is an industry there are people who this is just their jobs yeah i think the most incredible thing about this industry that i that the, the trend i've been starting to see the more i dig into it actively now the more i dig into it, especially also like the developers behind them the teams behind them and what i'm seeing when the, this trend already starts with let me spy and the company that appears to run it slash the guy who appears to run it is these all appear to be sort of like side hustles it's just a way to make a quick buck by like companies that run like an e-commerce business and also this and like they build websites for some other companies and that's like their thing this is just a thing like some weird web agencies do as their side project and that's what scares me is that to some like entrepreneur tech pro guy this just seems like an easy way to make a quick buck i i it it so deeply confuses me how uh, like how weird your moral alignment has to be and and the fact that this seems to be a trend 
there are people who do this who are like serial fraudsters outside of this and run weird web businesses that don't really deliver but then they make a perfectly functional spyware product as like a quick buck and i i don't get it it's like almost kind of funny to me like i know it shouldn't be but that, that's why I'm so sad that even though, like, I emailed the guy who runs, like, let me spy on his personal email address, I didn't get the response back because, like, even besides, like, journalistic reasons, I'm just very personally interested in what goes on in the head of someone making something like this. I'm glad you've kind of touched on this. Like, this sort of, the only word I can have for it is, right, is, is how bizarre it is. Because we're talking about something extraordinarily serious, but at the same time, you see the inner workings of it, and it's not what you think it's going to be. It is almost yeah. bumbling. It's almost oafishness, you know? And to know that that is what's producing something that produces real harm. I, I think it's funny that this is, like, I mean, this is just a general trend in the world in a way that, like, most of the real evil is just someone comically wanting to make a quick buck and, like, not <laughs> thinking too hard about it. Yeah. Like, not even going through with it properly. Like, that's the reason all, so far, every single spyware, like, stalkerware I've seen has been hacked somehow or gets hacked as soon as someone with skills lays eyes on it. It's not done well. N none of these tools are developed properly, which I feel like is in part because no reputable developer would want to work on something like this, but also partially because it's just this specific type of guy who works on this, who just wants some quick back and at the side is like some WordPress web dev like <laughs> thing, who just does stuff for like his local businesses. Like, how is there more than one of these guys in the world? <laughs> and how is it that they've all landed on this, you know, as like one of their many... Yeah, like there are so many easier scams at the end. Like, because let's be real, it's basically a scam. Like, <laughs> you're tricking guys into thinking they can pay you 200 bucks for a year of finding out whether their wife is cheating on them. Like, even if their product actually does what it promised, it's still a scam. I think that's very novel and something worth just pointing out again, which is that even if something does what it says it does, it's still a scam. And that's really smart because it also kind of gets at how these tools are advertised. I think for folks who don't know about these, who are learning about it for the first time, I mean, it really is that blatant and explicit on the websites. I've looked at these websites and they, they are things like, this will help you catch your wife or spouse or girlfriend cheating on you. And they are definitely advertised more towards men, by the way. It's always advertised towards men. The craziest thing I've still seen is like, sometimes I'm confused who the audience of these ads is. One of these companies that I've been looking into, they made like a fucking movie trailer thing which with like 2013 minecraft youtube channel intro graphics and like the most epic music where it's like presents to you is your partner cheating and it's like i don't know are they advertising to gamer bros i don't get it <laughs> it's kind of sad how funny this industry is for how evil it is what they do <laughs> i wanted to also talk about as you were saying, a lot of these are just kind of cobbled together. They're not done well. No reputable uh, developer would work on this. And so that kind of gets me to, do we know how the hack of Let Me Spy was accomplished? 
As far as I know, we don't have like any specific statement from the hacker. Like I know there have been journalists who have been in contact with them, but as far as I'm just gonna go out on a limb and assume, but based on the fact that we mostly have the database and we have data from the database, that there was some sort of like remote code execution or SQL injection in some sort of web app, be it the API, be it the front end, which was most likely just some PHP bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just my assumptions based on what I've seen on how these things are built and work, but yeah. no clue. Do we then have any information about the motivation instead of the hack? Do we know why this was done? I don't know, but given like how it was, how, how they were willing to talk to journalists, how they talked to journalists, how it was just leaked like that, I would assume that it was like a protest against stalkerware. I would assume that it was like in the fight against stalkerware. I can't really think of any hacker who would hack stalkerware and then publicly release the data without having a problem with stalkerware. Because like, th this would be a very valuable data set to either sell or keep for yourself and like do with. There isn't really a lot of a reason to just publish it like this without even a ransom demand or anything, if not as a protest or for like research purposes. You've kind of already hinted at this. You're, you're working on a series here about applications that do get hacked that are like this. And that's to say that it doesn't sound like it is unique that Let Me Spy got hacked. It doesn't sound like it's unique that these types of apps are insecure. Help me understand that. Like, do we have prior examples? Uh, how are these things built? How bad are they? <laughs> I'm not up to speed anymore. Uh, I last checked this like uh, uh, two weeks ago. How many are we counting on the Wikipedia article now that have been hacked already? Uh, one, two, three, uh, like four or five have been hacked now by hacktivists. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so th th there's already quite a lot of precedent to, to these getting hacked, uh, to these sometimes getting hacked multiple times. You mentioned a reporter earlier, Zach Whitaker at TechCrunch, who's done phenomenal work yes. right in this field. And there have been, I believe, people who have given him information to reveal the sort of network of these types of apps and how they operate. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. And one thing that I wanted to circle back to that you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of apps out there unlike let me spy this isn't i'm not making this up some of these apps have like about 14 different faces you know 14 different versions precisely yeah how <laughs> how just kind of help our audience understand like what's going on there like what do we mean when we like why would that even happen I think a lot of that is like to make it easier to fake reviews, to make it easier to hide from bad press, to be searchable under more terms, to like advertise in different ways. Like the usual thing, any scummy thing gets advertised as, where you like same, same as with physical pro products that are kind of scummy, where they're advertised under 15 different brand names in hopes that you will eventually buy it. And also it just makes it harder to track down the network because for, for most of these, it's very hard to find out who the ownership is. You, you either have to hack them to find out who's behind it or they're stupid enough as like, let me spy to just basically put it on their homepage. Uh, which I, I don't know why you would do that. You, you are living in the EU and very blatantly violating GDPR, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> like, not, not a lawyer, not a legal statement, but I, I don't see how you can do stalkerware under GDPR. 
I mean, okay, to be fair, they always have a disclaimer of you might require consent in your legislation. Please only use this if this is legal for you to use. But that doesn't absolve you of anything with GDPR as far as I'm aware. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's something that Let Me Spy does have on their website. They say, hey, just so you know, um, depending on where you live, you may need to get consent before you install this application on the device you are trying to monitor. And that is... I don't know. That feels like a very weak <laughs> statement to me, personally, to absolve you of trouble. <laughs> it's, it's the spyware industry's no copyright intended, I think. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to throw, like, you know, uh, a Disney movie onto Twitter, the full thing. I'm going to say, hey, no copyright infringement intended. Just, you can't come after me, Disney. I didn't mean to infringe your rights by putting all of the Avengers on YouTube, uh, on any of these. It's, exactly, yeah. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, also, uh, I just got a message from Sax, so I can now mention this on this podcast. Basically, one of these things that have priorly gotten hacked is when Kitsguard slash Clefgard got hacked in 2020 by someone who was known under my dead name. Like, I have experience with this already from having done Kitsguard in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? like that was interesting because i was just like at the time going through reverse engineering lots of android apps and sometimes asking on twitter if someone has like an interesting app so i was like oh yeah here is like this weird spyware app i randomly found so i started looking into it and suddenly i saw that the way they upload data to their storage is that they use a cloud storage pro provider uh like they use the, the alibaba one it's basically like AWS, but from China. And the way they did that is rather than first sending it to their server uh, securely and then having that stored on the data storage, uh, they just had the data storage credentials in, in their spyware application, which not only meant I could upload whatever I want to that cloud storage, but also that I could read whatever I want in that cloud storage, including like all the contacts and all the info of anyone. So that was already cool. And then I realized, wait, all of this is set to public anyways. So yeah, the, you didn't even need those credentials. All of the data from the targets was just publicly accessible in a storage bucket on the web, which is, wow. is not exactly ideal, <laughs> which then started the whole thing where me and Zach were trying to figure out how the hell we are going to contact this company to get this fixed before we publish a story on it. Did you succeed? Did you get something from the company? They actually did, uh, in, in the end, private it. I think we needed to reach out to them via Alibaba because we didn't find any way to contact them. What was the thought process in terms of we have to reach out before we publish? Because that sounds like a very like strong ethical thing here of like, look, we're trying to... It's, it's odd, right? We're trying yeah. to do right by someone who's done wrong. Yeah, it's, it's always the hard thing. I think generally also with data like this, like especially also given that we're talking here about leaks, like the things that basically publicly leak from Let Me Spy is, this is always data that shouldn't be public. But first of all, it shouldn't exist at all in the first place. But uh, I feel like if it, if it does exist, then it should be possible to use it for research, which is why I'm generally pro-leaking it, at least leaking it to journalists, leaking it to researchers, etc. But on the other hand, also, as long as it still exists, I feel like it should exist securely in a way where only like the people who should access it can access, which to be clear, is not the person spying on a victim, but like 
At least don't make it publicly accessible on the internet. And I don't want news articles about things I find to be guides on how to spy on millions on people. Yeah. What happened to that company after publishing? Yeah. They're still somewhat online, I think, currently. (laughs) But they at least have new rules as to how their system needs to work, which is interesting. If the company is still around and it has some new rules, we have seen that before. In fact, uh, quite, I say the word famously because I follow this stuff, but it's probably not famously at all. But the U.S. Federal Trade Commission went after an app back in like 2019, I think. And it was FlexiSpy, right? I believe, yeah. And they hit them not entirely because their app could, without consent, retrieve information, retrieve data from unsuspecting users but that the way they stored their data was insecure. And so it was this really bizarre kind of pitch down the middle, you know, of like, well, you can operate further if you're better at spying. It was so, it felt very tortured. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think the thing we now have with Clefcard is that as far as I know, they need to notify victims that they're being spied on, which still doesn't solve the problem at all. And as far as I remember, I haven't read the ruling. I had a friend quickly read through it while I was doing other research. As far as I know, the ruling is also specifically kind of worded in a way where it's hard to use it as a precedent against other things. But hey, it's it's something. It's always a step. It's, yeah. it's a step in the right direction. I did want to revisit something you said there that I thought was really interesting, right? Which is um that these new rules that if an app has to notify that uh, someone's being spied on, right? If, if you've had it installed on your device, the app has to say, by the way, you're being spied on. And you said that doesn't solve the problem. What do you mean there? I think the problem is just that like, especially if we, we consider that like an, an abuse situation, be, be that between like partners or be that like a controlling parent spying on their child uh, or even just a, someone in an authority position and of some sort. It's the problem that like notifying your victim that you are spying on them or even asking them for consent has no meaning when there is a difference in power at play here, when there is an authority in play here. So just the fact that it is at all allowed, like, which is, that is why I, especially in my vlog series, also criticize apps such as Life360, which fully exist with consent. Like you can't just spy on someone with Life360 without them knowing. But that doesn't solve the whole social issue, which is the real problem here, which I don't think any of these apps can exist in any ethical way, given their only use is in situations where someone has power over someone else, uh, in which case consent doesn't really mean that much. It reminded me of this idea that, again, sort of that app that was originally uh, received a settlement in 2019, and there was this kind of reference to this idea that there might be a legitimate use of this type of app. And I remember mm. my former colleague at Electronic Frontier Foundation, Eva Galperin, wrote that there is no legitimate use of a stockware app. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter yeah. if you say, you know, hey, you're being spied on. It doesn't matter. Like she's kind of getting to what you just said here that the only realms in which these apps are deployed is when there is an inherent imbalance of power someone has power over someone else and this app is further entrenching that it's only allowable because of it precisely 
it will always make an existing power imbalance worse. There is no other use for an app such as this. And and like I think it's interesting that more and more like apps like these are kind of normalized, specifically with things like Life 360, which then make apps such as this, which do this in a hidden way, suddenly seem like sort of okay to many people. It's just that like we have a fundamental right to privacy, and that applies to everyone, no matter if you're a part, someone's partner, or if you're if you're a child. Everyone has a right to their privacy and and it's important to have that and I feel like it's even more important as a child to have a right to have a right to privacy than as a parent because there will just always be things you cannot share with your parents you are, do not yet know how to share with your parents I think that's always the interesting thing with the marketing of these apps as well is when they're like when when they have testimonials it's always like oh yeah, we just found out our child is depressed, so we talked to him a little bit more, and he seems fine now. And it's just like this, this, the the type of person to use this on their child or on on their spouse is not going to attack any of the problems they find with this in any proper way because they already didn't do the simple thing of just talking. This might show a problem. This might show some so, a problem in quotes. Uh, <laughs> this might show something being wrong. This might show something that needs changing, that needs talking about. But if you already solved it with this technological stopgap instead of talking from the start, you're not gonna be able to fix this problem after throwing an app at it. Be- because there isn't then an app where you can just press the like stop cheating button. I don't know. This <laughs> solves no problem even like when it sort of does. I'm so enchanted by this idea that obtaining information seems to be a quote unquote solution to a quote unquote problem, right? Because like you said, this app doesn't have a button that says stop cheating, right? And that doesn't like, yes, it doesn't solve even the very problem that it claims that it can solve, which is, it's like, what is it solving? Right. And so I I guess I'm just, I'm very enchanted by this. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like if you suspect your spouse is cheating on you, talk to them if you still don't trust them then i don't know maybe something is wrong on your end or maybe like things aren't working already anymore and same with your child if you think something is going wrong in their class talk to them if they have reason to trust you they will trust you and they will not have more reason to trust you if you start spying on them I also want to focus more on like the child aspect here than most of the literature on this does, most of the journalism on this does, because especially as a queer person, this is very important to me. Like the the fact that like there is many queer kids, they have very good reasons to hide from their parents that they are queer or they will suffer consequences. There is a need to be able to talk to your friends, to peers of your own age, uh, to, to people you trust without your parents spying on that. When your parents create an aura of trust, when you can trust them, then you will, but no spying app will gain your child's trust, ever. This is not how you build trust in any relationship. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's, um, it feels very clear, right? And I don't you know, mean to, like I'm the host of the podcast, I don't know how much I can criticize people, right? But I'm like, I... <laughs> But I, while I understand that it may feel attractive, like oh, this technological solution to a, to a, yeah. to a person problem, we like famously know that that doesn't work. Like we even like there's, like, yeah, there's a yeah. thing out there, like a law. You know, I think it's like 
Rassman's Law, which you shouldn't use technology to solve societal problems. I believe I'm probably saying the name wrong, but it's a thing. It's a thing and we have it. <laughs> yeah, no, like I totally get how it's attractive. But at the end of the day, it's just your insecurity. <laughs> and, and you can't solve your insecurity by eroding other people's trust. So, yeah, I don't know. Right. It feels like it feels like we're very close to like entering a different podcast here, <laughs> um, and, <Yeah. laughs> uh, which is great. But at the same time, I wanted to steer us back a bit into Let Me Spy and into this this world of apps. And I wanted to touch again on kind of what you were saying that, you know, you don't think this data should exist, period. But if it exists, right, we should be responsible with who we give it to, like journalists for research and understanding. And so uh, my question is actually, like, should we keep hacking these companies? <laughs> I, I already know what you're getting at here. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm the person on the podcast here who can say we should hack things uh, because I don't work for Malwarebytes. Uh, but, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I think like the, the thing is, I don't think there really is any other way to get info on in this industry. Uh, it doesn't seem like uh, any government is reasonably interested in cracking down on this on their own. Like all of these companies operate within this very, very gray area. And, and it's like, as long as there isn't a big enough reason to go after them or enough proof, there won't really be anything happening. And I think the important things we have to do is like, yeah, inform people, which, which we need like resources to do that. We need to have an idea of how big this problem really is. And at the end of the day, we need data for that. And I don't think there really is another way to get that than like hacking back, like spying on the people who spy. And I feel like the important thing is also like the, these, the, like someone's gonna hack it anyways. And, and it is might as well be the people who give this to research who try and crack down against this industry. And I don't think they're gonna secure this shit anytime soon because why would they? It works as is and like, it, like I said, it's an industry run by a specific type of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to close out here and just see if there was anything back to Let Me Spy that surprised you about the information itself, right? Because we talked a lot about like the email domains and uh, just like the number of devices. But I actually just wanted to close out back on that. Was there anything in there that we just didn't touch that you were surprised by? I wasn't really surprised by it, but I did find it a little funny that like, I was just like on a whim searching for, for some words and like the, the text messages received ones just to get like some idea of what's in there. And I did find at least three drug deals taking place. And that was just kind of... <laughs> kind of funny that's like, fun yeah that's yeah that's fun to see yeah you know the amount of trump campaign text messages in there they, that's they, they sent those to just about anyone huh? <laughs> maya thank you again so much for coming on today's show and for discussing this yeah it was fun being here to our listeners We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Mauerbytes Labs at mauerbytes.com slash blog. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin McLeod from incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from unminus.com. Today's show has been edited by our podcast consultant, Eric Johnson, at lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks.